0: So we started off this series uh, connecting some of the um, contemporary pop culture dystopias and apocalyptic books and movies and television shows with the dynamics and realities of what is happening in the book of revelation and apocalyptic the word apocalypse means to reveal and Contrary to um, a lot of the uh, a lot of the pop culture dystopias and apocalyptic movies and films and television shows and books, the Book of Revelation reveals an end. There's an ending. There's a good ending. There's the revelation of Jesus Christ and the eternal kingdom where evil is destroyed. But what we see in most of our pop culture versions are um, the apocalypses, the destruction but no uh, clarity as to a a future good, Uh, no revelation of what good things are going to come to pass, no revelation of what the ending is. So there's usually a lot of unsettledness in our pop culture apocalypses. And um, I'm going to refer to these pop culture dystopias and versions as we go through this series. And this morning I want to talk about uh, a relatively recent one called The Man in the High Castle. Is anybody a fan of The Man in the High Castle? A few of you I know. Sam, you put me onto it. It's an Amazon Prime streaming show. Um, Just finished its second season. And uh, The Man in the High Castle is based upon a novel written of the same name in the early 60s. And essentially, it is a version of history um, with the assumption that the uh, Axis powers in World War II, so Germany and Japan won World War II, and the Allied powers lost. And so the movie, or excuse me, the television show takes place in America, and America in the mid-1960s is basically made up of three zones— there is the, the the Pacific States, which is everything from the Pacific Coast, so California on over to the Rocky Mountains. That area is held by Japan. The Rocky Mountains are what they call the neutral zone, and everything east of the Rocky Mountains to the east coast is held by Germany. And so there is much unsettledness about the future about what the end is going to be uh, in, in, in all places. And so the resistance is kind of the capital, excuse me, the resistance kind of holds up in the neutral zone. Um, and the resistance is made up of freedom fighters that are fighting both against uh, Germany and against Japan. Um, and then there's Japan that is in the show, technologically inferior to Germany. And because they don't have uh, atomic weapons, are fearful of Germany's um, eventual attack and destroying of them so that Germany and Hitler… Hitler is still alive at this point uh, in, this, in the television show, but they are worried that, that Germany is just ultimately going to take over the entire globe because that's its, its desire. Um, and Germany… H- Hitler is dying. He's still alive, but he's kind of in decline. Um, and they are in a state of unsettledness because they don't know what will happen when Hitler dies. Um, and there are the, the presence of these films, okay? So the films are really this, un, uh, it's this focused, focus of unsettledness. Because the films, there's, a, there's, we don't know the origin of these films, but the films, particularly a set of films within a larger body of them, there's a series of films called The Grasshopper Lies Heavy, okay? The Grasshopper Lies. Lies heavy, which is a quote from Ecclesiastes 12. And you know the part in Ecclesiastes where it says, um, it's at the conclusion of the book and he's saying, you know, while you are still young then, while you are still young, find wisdom, seek God and fear His commandments because it's eventually going to all come to an end. And the grasshopper in Old Testament imagery or the locust is a, is a source, uh, it's a plague because it eats everything that's alive. And so part of the imagery that Ecclesiastes paints in its small paragraph of an apocalypse is that the, the grasshopper and the locust is going to weigh heavy upon you. It is going to, your, your life is going to be sapped of vitality unless here while you are young, you seek God and to serve his purposes. And so these, these films are all entitled, this series of films, The Grasshopper Lies Heavy, uh, with the idea that um, life is being sucked out of the lives of, of everybody that is really involved in, in these, this film, these, these, um, this show, Um, Because of the unsettled nature of what the future holds. And so the films, and this is really where it really gets kind of strange. The films show what we would consider accurate history. JFK is president. The Cuban Missile Crisis is going on. America is in its place of power in the world. Germany and Japan were defeated. And so you have all of these groups, Japan and the resistance in Germany, watching these films that are produced by The Man in the High Castle, showing these alternate visions of reality. None of them, which, none of them make sense historically, but the, all of the films look like historical footage of what really happens. And so it throws everybody into this state of what is true, what is reality, what is the end, who has the power, where will my life end up? And so it creates this, because while you're watching it, you're like, man, what is going on here? And then people start to go back into other realities. And so this multiverse idea is kind of one of the themes of the television shows. But what I've been impressed with is that um, these images in the films that are showing a different history, a different reality, uh, these visions and these images, all of the major players are affected by them. And they begin to direct their actions according to the films that nobody even knows the source of. And it shows, because of the, the unsettledness of our, of our lives, and the unsettledness about what the future holds, it shows that the power of images and the power of stories can have a a very great effect on, on how we live our lives and think about our futures and direct our steps, even though sometimes those images and stories seem to be completely opposed to reality. And that's what the book of Revelation is trying to do in a significant way. Because in Revelation, you have the reality of the Babylonian order, right? This economic, political, global reality that everything is pressing towards human flourishing in the, in the, in the, in the guise of economic flourishing. That's the Babylonian reality in, in, in our world that, that Revelation promotes. Uh, there is the satanic reality behind that where you have spiritual forces at work trying to deceive the world, pulling them away from the third reality, which is the reality of God. But they do so through this Babylonian vision that ultimately in the end isn't the real vision because the satanic demonic forces alive in the world and in the heavens bring it to destruction because it's a competing reality. It's a, it's a competing version of who and what should be honored and pursued for life. And ultimately, in the end, Satan, the adversary of God, doesn't want a competitor in the Babylonian system. He doesn't want us worshiping money. He wants us worshiping him. And then there's the reality of God and the kingdom of God. Again, from our perspective, an unseen reality that is only present within what the scriptures speak to us and of the spirit that fills us and affirms our sonship into the family of God. And so we, we live in a world where there literally are multiple realities. And where are we going to get what is true? Where are we going to get the perspective of, of where is all this heading in the end? We have the same questions that these people do in The Man in the High Castle. It is a slow-moving, it is a slow-moving show that you have to really kind of depend upon uh, a lot of nuance and hi- historical curiosity to, to pull you through. Um, but it's, it's, it's really a cool show because it raises these questions. It raises these questions. Now, at the beginning of the book of Revelation, it says, blessed are those who read this book, this prophecy, and those who hear it and then listen to what it says. And in the early church, not everybody had their Bibles, and not everybody had a personal copy, and so they relied upon the community meeting uh, to, to read and discuss biblical truth. And so, parts of Revelation are impossible to get. Um, well, this is just, would be a true of any book. You've got to read it. <laughs> and some of the messages uh, that we have in this series, um, this one, I think, and as, as well as a few others that are going to be coming later, it's very important that you get the I- imagery um, and it's very important that I build my sermons around the imagery. So we're going to read two chapters this morning, okay? Because they were intended to be read publicly. And we need these images to be publicly read and publicly discussed because I just can't describe them to you, right? So we're going to read uh, Revelation chapter 8, verse 1 through 9, Chapter 8 is 13 verses, chapter 9 is 21 verses. It's not a It's not a huge amount, um, but it is important. So, read with me. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. So earlier in chapter 5, the prayers of the saints were prayers for justice. God, how long must we wait until those who have persecuted and killed your saints are brought to justice? That is the prayer of the saints throughout the book of Revelation. And so what we see here at the beginning of Revelation 8 is the reminder of those prayers being presented before God and really what is going to be the answer to those prayers. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, so the prayers of the saints have been cast down to the earth from the altar of God, representing the fact that God is now going to answer those prayers. So when we pray, as Jesus instructed, Uh, Let things on earth be as they are in heaven. You have in heaven the prayers of the saints being addressed by God and being thrust to the earth. So now those prayers are going to be answered on the earth. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all grass was burned up. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked and heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, or grasshoppers. And they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. Has anybody ever been stung by a scorpion? Google that. And the description is not pleasant. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lions' teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire, and of sapphire, and of sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lions' heads. The fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood. Which cannot see or hear or walk, nor do they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So, that is a picture, one of the more intense pictures in the book of Revelation that summarizes the judgment of God to those who live on the earth. There are seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. And each of them is a description of the judgment of God. And so, again, all of these judgments are answers to the prayers of the saints, those who have been persecuted for their faith and their love for Jesus. And so the first four trumpets these are not the these are not the woes. These are just the first four trumpets, uh, described judgment upon the earth, judgment upon humanity, that broke up the normal flow of creation. The sun, the moon, the stars, the rivers, the seas, earthquakes. It is a selective. They are selective interruptions of life, as usual. Intended to disrupt the natural world, intended to disrupt, disrupt idolatry. Now, one of the challenges of Revelation, obviously, is what do all these things mean? And can we get super specific on timing and chronology? And like I said at the beginning, I'm not gonna, you're not going to see any timelines that are unfolding the book of Revelation and the judgment of God in this series, I'm not saying it doesn't have anything to do with chronology, because we're going to get into specifics around some things where there are years and days, and that's coming out of Daniel's prophecy and, and his book that gets into years and days, and years and days are important when it's intended to be. But a lot of, a lot of scholars, and I would tend to agree with this, see that these first four trumpet blasts, are in reference to acts of God that disrupt nature now. Since Christ's first coming and since Christ's first ascension to heaven, we have been pressing on towards the kingdom of God. And we have disruptions in our natural order now that are intended to disrupt our idolatries. Because if they didn't exist, we would just go on, life as usual, making money, doing what we want to do to enjoy life and get pleasure out of it. And so while there will be significant disruption of the natural order when God comes back, when Jesus comes back a second time, and we can expect these kinds of things to occur, we're also to see that the disruption of life as usual now is intended to disrupt our idolatries. And one of the consistent threads that we see throughout really all of John's writings and here in the book of Revelation is this Vision, these metaphors of, of darkness, of smoke. And to John, darkness is always referring to a spiritual blindness, deception. A lot of these things that we see in the book of Revelation, and a lot of the reasons why uh, Revelation is so crazy, so shock and awe filled with these images and these strange things, is that it is supposed to really shock us and to challenge uh, our notions of what is going on because it forces us to ask ourselves, what in the world do these things mean? And the strange imagery captures our imagination for just even but a moment that causes us to stop and think. How are we being deceived? How are we being deceived? Our reality is Babylon, Babylon. But is that reality? Trumpet five is the unleashing of demonic forces to inflict suffering. So one of, the, one of the things that you get in the fifth and the sixth trumpets is this sense that evil demonic forces, if they would have been allowed to have their way for all time, would have pursued the destruction and killing of humanity immediately. But that God has been holding back this this legion of demonic locusts that have been sealed in this bottomless pit. Whatever the reality of how they've been held, who knows? But the sense is God has held them back. God has held them back from destruction. God has held back these these four angels, and these four angels or demons. The stars in Revelation are usually referring to some angelic, demonic, spiritual being. So God has been holding back these four angels from unleashing this army that is going to destroy a significant portion of humanity. So here we see the grace of God at work that has been at work for millennia. If it were not for the grace of God, the evil forces, the demonic forces, the forces of Satan would have brought destruction upon the face of the earth as soon as they could have. And so the fifth and the sixth trumpets are these these, uh, supernatural, demonic forces that inflict suffering, and they bring suffering upon those who are not sealed by God. They bring physical and psychological harm to such degree that everybody that is alive would prefer to be dead and attempt suicide, but the Scriptures are really clear. Death evades them. So imagine an entire planet filled with people that are trying to kill themselves because of the intense psychological and physical pain but they are not permitted to. Death eludes everyone for those five months. They're intended to show that the idols that we worship are useless and that there is no hope. If your hope is killing yourself, you will even be robbed of that. There is no hope outside of God and Jesus Christ. And the ho- So I want to look at the heart of the deception and the rejection. Note the last two verses. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up the worshiping of demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or of their sexual immorality or their thefts. What is deception? Deception is the hiding of something to prevent the truth from being exposed. And the enemies of Satan have have an agenda to deceive. Have an agenda to deceive. Jesus called Satan the, the father of lies. The father of lies. And one of the assumptions throughout the book of Revelation, in fact, all of Scripture, is that we humans allow ourselves to be deceived by Satan. We allow ourselves to be deceived. And according to Scripture, Babylon is this image created by the devil, by Satan, the enemy of God, to deceive us, to present a picture of life, to present a picture of reality, that numbs us, blocks us from the truth. What is life? What is joy? What is happiness? What is fulfillment? What is being righteous? All those ideas being wrapped up in that term. And so we live in this world that we think is real, but it's really a deception. But we allow ourselves to be deceived because we love, we love our our idols. We love our idols. We love sin. John chapter 1 says that we did not repent because we loved our sin. We loved our sin. But I think if, if, okay, so we've got these crazy images, we're talking a lot about Satan and spiritual forces and invisible beings and locusts that look like horses and humans and lions and snakes and like, will you just decide on what these locusts look like? Are they locusts? Are they horses? Are they, you know, so it's, it's, it's just really strange. And you could be sitting here and asking, okay, you want me to believe This? All these strange images, all these strange ideas and strange beings that point to a reality that is not even able to be seen, and not believe something that I know is very true and very real because I'm living in it every day. I see it. I can grab it. I can smell it. I can feel it. I can experience it. And yes, that's what the the Bible is asking you to believe, (laughs) But there's a clue that if you would open your mind but for a bit, there's a clue to the deception. There's a clue to the deception. And the clue is that you're becoming what you worship. You're becoming what you worship. See, the scripture says here that we worship idols. What is an idol? Here are a few quotes. Whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God, Martin Luther. J.A. Moyer says that the idol is whatever claims the loyalty that belongs to God alone. The human mind, so to speak, is a perpetual forge of idols, John Calvin. So while the Scriptures describe idols as being made of stone and wood and gold and silver, and that they cannot hear, that they cannot speak, they cannot walk. These things that we are the things that we worship. Now we don't build today little idols in this country. They build little idols throughout the world and other places. That are different types of idols than little statues and little figures. But they're still made of wood. They're still made of stone. They're still made of metal. We become what we worship. Psalm 115, verses 4 through 8, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Those who made them become like them. So do all who trust in them. G.K. Beal says, oh, I'm sorry, I had that passage there says that what people revere they resemble either for ruin or their destruction what people revere and hold up in respect and value they resemble either for ruin or for restoration okay so I notice a few of you in here wore uh, and if not today at other times this is just an example Uh, you've got a sports jersey on right now Here's the challenge. God has created everything in heaven and on earth for our enjoyment and to honor Him for, and through the honoring of Him, we can enjoy these things that He has created to the maximum. So that is our wives and our children and our husbands, our families, our jobs, money, work, food, sex, Everything, sports, and we can enjoy these things, all right? And we will all have little ways that we show what we love, like wearing sports jerseys, all right? It's just an example. We're identifying ourselves, are we not, with those teams that we hold up and revere. But we all know, we all know that all of us can take those things to extremes, where our world becomes sports, where our world becomes food. What happens if you love food? You're gonna become food. A lot of it. I love food. It is one of the biggest challenges to me that I seek comfort and joy and hope in. It is a constant battle for me not to just consume myself with eating because I love it so much. Since I was a young kid, money, you can easily see where yourself or others are worshiping money because it becomes what consumes them, the accumulation and saving money. Pleasure is the spending of money, and what happens with people that spend too much money for the pleasures that spending money produces, they, it, it destroys them, but they're known and characterized by lavish spending. Spending. You you can easily start listing off characteristics of people. And I hope you start with yourself. What do they love? You will see what they love in who they are and what they do and what they identify themselves with. And you have to be, you have to make sure that you are, recognizing that all of these things are great for us to enjoy it is great God wants us to enjoy the food and the drink that he gives us and we can enjoy those things but when it becomes sin then those things have become our idol he wants us to enjoy sexuality within the context of a marriage relationship but when it becomes something other than that it becomes our destruction and it becomes an idol so it, don't, don't go over to one side too much and say, you know, I don't want to show anything that I love because I don't want to have any, any idols and I don't want people to think that I'm idolatrous. You know, enjoy the things that God has given you to His glory, but seek Him first in the kingdom of God and you will really be able to enjoy those things because you're not seeking those things for your ultimate happiness and security and power and comfort and pleasure because eventually you will disdain them because they will destroy you. I've got a a close friend. He doesn't know the Lord yet. But if you talk to him, he says, my spirituality, my God is... The outdoors—it's where I feel the most alive and whole and purposeful—and all of those all those ideas. He wants to work for Patagonia. He wears Patagonia. And I told him just this week. I said, "Dude, you love a lot of great things." that I really love. You love your family. You love the outdoors. You love good food. You love hanging out with your friends and neighbors. I said, but but you lack the ultimate source of those things and the thing that will integrate all of them to make your joy even more. And I said, and that's that's God. And that's God. He said this to me. I'm not ready to let him help me yet. I can do it on my own. That's what he said. I said, I can't force you to know and to find God. He will do that in his time. But he knows, and he's crystal clear. I want to do it on my own. You know, and it's sad, and 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 I told him, you know, I loved him. I'm never going to force this into him, but he knows what I'm always going to be talking to him about. (laughs) And he's open. I think the Holy Spirit's working in him. We will become what we love. And if we love God, we will become like Christ, and that's the promise. And we will share in His honor and glory and power and riches for eternity. And we will truly be fulfilled and truly be whole and righteous and complete. But if we don't love God, then we will love something that will eventually kill us. And that is the real point of all of these images. You know, are there really gonna be these fantastic beings? (laughs) I have no idea. But what is clear is this, and what the truth of Revelation is this, your idolatries will kill you. Your idolatries will kill you. but God will give you life. Jesus will give you life because he created all things and he created you, he created you. Let me pray. God, um, thank you for this crazy imagery because it causes us to stop and to think, and to ask what is really going on here. So God, we pray that you would draw all of us into a true worship of you true praise for you, a true love for you where you are our source of comfort, not food or pleasure or sex or anything like that, where you are our true source of security, not money or home or a great job, where you are our true source of, of joy and, and pleasure. For from you, God, we recognize come all of these things. So we ask, God, that you would help us and draw us into that reality. Help us, God, to to no longer be blinded by the deceptions of the evil one and the deceptions of Babylon so that we could truly find life in you. In your son's name, amen.